Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for September 2019. For more information on this podcast and other available resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from our games room in Bixby, Oklahoma. It is the 11th of September, 9-11-2019, as I record this introduction to this month's message. And my mind obviously has gone back today to 9-11-2001. I was in a hotel room in Hammond, Louisiana. I just completed a meeting the previous night, and uh, I woke up in time to see the first plane fly into the first tower and I thought and felt surely I was watching a movie and then as the newscasters came on I realized this was no movie and I was transfixed watching what was happening and saw the second plane fly into the second tower and um, then had to get dressed and was taken through to New Orleans airport where I was to fly but by that time the announcement had been made that all airplanes were grounded and so my hope was that I'd be able to find a rental car and I did and drove back to Dallas Fort Worth where we were living at the time none of the family was at home Bev was in South Africa uh, visiting with her mother and uh, Tracy was with Matt in Italy in Rome in fact they were on a European vacation that they had saved for, and uh, we weren't sure they'd be able to get back on time in time, but by the time it was their time to return home, the planes were flying again, and Brad was in Oklahoma here at uh, ORU University. And I can remember driving home feeling incredibly emotional and shedding many tears for the tragedy of that day. But also hearing the father say, once more, the devil has overplayed his hand. And uh, so, you know, I, I had a very distinct conviction that so many called on the name of the Lord in the last moments of their lives. And as we'll see in our message today, I believe God is full of mercy and full of grace. And uh, he is longing he wills that all men everywhere should be saved, is what the scripture says. So, 9-11. Well, I skipped August. I didn't do a message in August. I have been through some ill health. I won't go into all the details. But the upshot of it all is I uh, quit taking sugar, actually, prior to that, because I was borderline diabetic. I... Uh, have lost over 20 pounds I'm no longer on blood pressure medication my blood pressure is normal I am no longer taking antacids for daily heartburn that's all gone and I'm feeling a whole lot better so no matter where it all came from whether it was just physical or if the enemy was involved the upshot of it is all good and i really am rejoicing in the lord as i'm on a new path physically 
as a result of what I've gone through. So it's been, was a tough time. Bev went through a rough time watching me just so weak in so much pain for a few days and so on. But she's doing well now. We're both doing well and we're praising the Lord. Well, I just thought I'd share with you some of the notes that uh, we've received over the last few weeks in uh, via email from different ones. This is from somebody here in the United States. Your ministry is one of the very best I've ever heard in my entire life, and I've heard a lot of teaching. I'm a veteran Christian broadcaster over decades. I've read a lot too. There are so very few teachers of God's Word who understand the new creation as the Bible teaches it. Sad. John definitely has it down, and it's clear in the teachings he is doing this year. Please know that I pray for you and your whole family. You are a blessing to the nations. Grace and peace. That's here from the States. This is from South Africa. We love the opportunity God our Father has given us to be a blessing to the world. And we thank you and John for your love and prayers. I'm so thankful for your message of God's goodness and grace in our lives. It continues to challenge us to let go and let God. The current series on Know Who You Are is excellent. I too have been battling with a troubled evil conscience and since listening, I feel the heaviness lifting and move towards his love and experience the freedom and liberty of being in a relationship with our beautiful God and Father. Lots of love to you, John, and the family. This is from Australia. And he mentions his wife's name and I are regularly blessed by your ministry. I am amazed at how our Father speaks to us wherever we are in terms of our giving. As you guys are aware, he is always so on the money concerning our needs. We feel very blessed to be able to sow into your ministry. We are based in Australia. Regards. And then this one from here in the States. Your ministry has been the vehicle God has used to move me from pain, confusion, frustration to freedom. I thought when we met here in, and she names the town, about a decade ago, that it was the first time I'd known of you. I have since realized that I was first exposed to your ministry in Muleshoe a few years earlier. You both have had such a profound impact on my life that I could write a book about it. My pattern nowadays, since retiring a year ago from teaching high school math, is to walk first thing in the day and listen to the most recent seed to seed. Well, in the midst of this current series, knowing who you are, John had mentioned several other series, including The Goodness of God, The New Covenant, Renewing the Mind, The Anointing, among others. So I've listened to them all, day after day, again and again. What a blessing. The truth you share has changed everything about me, and I'm profoundly thankful. Words simply are not sufficient. So please know that I pray for you and thank God for you all every day asking that God abundantly meet all your needs with all sorts of happy surprises mixed in. I just love you all so much, and getting your email is like getting a personal letter from a rock star. Truly, you are celebrities in my heart. And then this is the last one, and this is also from South Africa. It is with absolute love that we support your ministry. I also must share with you that I'm currently devouring the teachings of LLM. 
The Lord has me studying Galatians in the mornings over the past month and during the day whilst I'm driving around. I've been listening to the podcasts of John's study of Galatians. Over the past two weeks, I have read At Home in the Father's House and What Right Do I Have? I started reading The Shack again last night. However, I know that I will be back onto John's book soon as there is such life in them. I sometimes feel that I'm going through my own I go to river experience. If you read my books, you'll know that that's where God gave me, began the revelation of grace to me. And then later on, in the morning hours when sleep evades me, I reach over to my iPad, pop an earphone in and push play on one of John's teachings. I've been listening to Knowing the Holy Spirit over and over for about six weeks now. And whilst most times I fall asleep within 30 minutes of starting the teaching, I know that the teaching is still being listened to by my subconscious as I sleep. Anyway, not sure why I shared the above. Just know that your ministry is feeding a small family in South Africa with blessings and teachings, and we love and appreciate you both sincerely. So I just thought I'd share those with you. They have been an encouragement to us this uh, month. And, uh, you know, I just want to encourage those of you who do hear, listen to Seed to Seed and listen to the other materials that uh, we don't ask for money at all. We uh, trust the Holy Spirit to lead God's people. Uh, but it's, it's always good just to prompt our memories again with Galatians 6, 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, study that passage. It's, it's really important in God's eyes that you do so into those who who feed you. So I just encourage you to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. So on to our message. This is part six of my series. And let me start again by reading in Galatians chapter four as the springboard uh, for our study this month, which is going to focus on identity as a son as opposed to being a servant uh, because that's what Galatians 4 says now I say that the heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father even so when we when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And as I've said before, that is the word adoption is the best English equivalent of a Greek, but it's not a legal term. It's simply setting in place as a son. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Wonderful passage. 
And that was the passage that when I studied it, it was like it really dawned on my spirit, along with the passages that I've already shared in the earlier part of the series from John's Gospel about no longer do I call you servants and a servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. That together with this Galatians 4 passage were what the Holy Spirit used in me to show me the truth that I was not a servant, that I was a son. Now, having seen the truth originally, it took me a while to come out from under that yoke to the law and under that servitude to the law. And the passage that God has used so powerfully in my life, and those of you who have read my books know that this is a central passage in the books that I've written on sonship and the birthright and at home in the Father's house. And that is the, the passage in Luke chapter 15. It's the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and of what we call the prodigal son. But I believe that as you look at the beginnings of the chapter, you get more of an insight into why Jesus told these three stories as parables to the Pharisees. It says in verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Their concept of God was an exclusionary God, a God who was a judge of men and the motives of their hearts and would have no fellowship whatsoever with people who would be termed as sinners such as the tax collectors. And as I've said many times before, the sinners is a technical term given to a non-practicing Jew. If they didn't practice Judaism, they were called sinners. So these are the crooks and basically the atheists at the worst, but agnostics. They didn't believe in God. And many of them, I believe, were put off God because of the very people who here were criticizing Jesus for receiving these tax collectors and sinners. And that was the Pharisees and the representation of God that they portrayed in the world. And it is against that backdrop when they criticized Jesus for receiving sinners. He receives sinners. And that was so offensive to them, the concept that God would receive sinners. And so therefore, in their minds, there was no way that Jesus could be a representative of God because he would never receive sinners, nor would he eat with them. That was the height of compromise as far as the Pharisees were concerned. If you sat down to a meal, you were in fact covering the other person's offenses. You were saying that what you have done doesn't matter. I receive you and I am fellowshipping with you. And so they were greatly offended by that. And it is against that backdrop that Jesus tells these stories. <clears throat> and what I want you to see is this. I'm going to make the statement, you will never know who you are as a son and a daughter if you don't know the true nature and character 
of the Father. Everything starts with who God is, with his nature, his character. Now, he revealed to Moses, even in the midst of the revelation of the law, when Moses said, show me your glory, God said to him, okay, I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. So the next day, you'll remember that God passes by and declares his name, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, who will by no means overlook the transgressions, visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me but showing mercy to thousands, and that means thousands of generations. So his mercy far exceeds his judgment. And as James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is superior to judgment because that is the nature of God. So in these three stories, what is Jesus trying to portray? In the first story of the sheep, there are 99 just Ninety and nine sheep who are in the fold. There's one lost. Jesus is portraying something about God that we have long since forgotten because religion has told us that our God is still an exclusionary God. He's a God of judgment. He's a God who cannot, because we've quoted from the Old Testament, God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Well, if you believe that to apply under the new covenant, then Jesus could never have fellowshiped with these people because he was God incarnate and he fellowshiped with sinners. They felt so comfortable and so drawn to him. So what Jesus is trying to portray here is that God is not the exclusivist God that the Pharisees had portrayed, but he's an in inclusionary God. He wants all men to be drawn to him. He wants all men to be saved. He, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That is the heart. When, when I am crucified, I'm being crucified so that all can be drawn to me. The tragedy of the church is because we have mixed covenants. We have still perpetuated this, this horrible lie before the world that God is an exclusionary God rather than this God of great mercy and compassion who loves to receive sinners. So the first story is of the, the master leaving the 99 sheep and going and finding that lost sheep, putting it on his shoulders, bringing it home, rejoicing. And then Jesus says this, Likewise, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 just people who need no repentance. Well, I want to ask you this question. What did that sheep have to do to repent? <laughs> the sheep did not search out the shepherd. The sheep did not go looking for the shepherd. The shepherd sought out the sheep in compassion and love and care. One of his sheep was astray, and that shepherd went after that lost sheep. What is Jesus showing us? The heart of the Father. The heart of the Father. He's going after the broken, after the lost, after the sinful.
The second story is of the woman with the coins, the ten coins. She loses one. And so she she lights a candle. She searches throughout the house until she finds that coin. Then she calls her neighbors and said, come on, let's have a party. I have found my lost coin. Again, I ask you, what did that coin have to do to repent? Because Jesus said, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over all the just people who need no repentance. The coin didn't have to seek out the owner of the coins. The, all the coin had to do was allow itself to be discovered picked up and found. That Jesus calls repentance on the part of the sheep and on the part of the coin. Well, you say to me, yeah, but the next story, the story of the prodigal son is different because the Bible says when he came to himself in the far country and he said, you know, so many of my father's servants have more to eat and more than enough. And he said, yeah, I am starving with hunger. And he said, I will arise and will go to my father and will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He wasn't coming home in contrition as a returning son. He was coming home with the bright idea that, listen, my father's servants have got plenty of food. I know I forfeited my position as a son, and that's what his speech was about. But man, if my father will hire me as his servant, I'll have food to eat. So his motivations for coming home were not contrition over the evil of what he had done, but was purely selfish in order to get food totally selfish. What did he have to do to repent? Nothing. The father did it all, ran to him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and etc. And we'll go into those stories. So again, what Jesus is trying to portray is the heart of the father, full of mercy, full of grace, full of compassion. You see, folks, until you get that picture of God, you are always going to doubt your position in the Father's love, in the Father's good graces. You will always be subject to the enemy's accusation of saying, oh, you've blown it. You know, God's not really favorable to you because look at your behavior. If you don't know the nature of your father, you will allow that evil conscience that I looked at last month and the condemnation that we looked at the month before that. And that'll keep you from knowing your identity and relaxing in your identity as a son and a daughter. So, let's go back to the story of the two brothers. Now, Jesus does not give us any insight into the preliminary prelims to this younger brother, this young son going to the father and saying, give me that portion of my inheritance which falls to me. The first thing about that, that that is so remarkable is this, that in doing that, he was basically saying to me, Father, it's as though you are dead. He was severing that relationship with the Father by asking for the inheritance ahead of time. What was it that made him so hateful 
toward the Father. We do not know. Jesus doesn't fill that in. Having studied, though, a second child syndrome, it is probable and it is possible that he spent his life in the shadow of his older brother's exemplary behavior because his older brother was perfect. He could say to the father, I have never disobeyed any commandment of yours. I have served you all my life. I have served you and never disobeyed your commandment. Can you imagine growing up as the younger brother with that model of rectitude right before you, constantly condemning you because in your heart there is a desire to taste the pleasures of the world? There must have been because that was his intention. He wanted to get out from his father's house so that he could go and indulge the fleshly passions that were in his heart. If that wasn't true, he wouldn't have done it. He would have gone into a far country and invested that money and uh, become a successful merchant and so on. No, he blew that money. Why? Because in his heart, he had desired all along to indulge those desires. And his, in his perception, his father was a hindrance to him having fun. Now, we know from what later on it transpires, that is totally an erroneous perception. But nevertheless, that's his reality. He acts upon it, and that's what gives rise to, to this whole story. The tragedy of it is this. He never really understood the father, because the father would have given him Whatever he asked for, that's evidenced by the fact that he gave him the inheritance. But for whatever reason, and probably because of the same lie that seduced Eve into sin, when Satan said to Eve, God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll become like him. And so the temptation to Eve was based on a lie that somehow God was withholding from them something that was better than what he was giving them. And what a lie that was, we know, because that led to sin entering the creation and marring the entire creation and cursing the whole race of Adam from that point on. So he had believed a lie about the father. But then so had the older brother believed a lie about the father. Neither of the sons knew the true nature and character of the father. That's what the story is about. The Pharisees didn't understand the nature of God, and so they're offended when Jesus reveals what the father is like, seeking and saving the lost. <laughs> the simple question I want to put to you is this. If God is that concerned about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son, how much more is he so happy with those of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, have received the salvation that he has purchased for us through the blood of the Lord Jesus, received the spirit of adoption, been adopted into his family, and we have become sons. 
The tragedy is this, that although we've received the spirit of setting in place as a son, many of God's children do not feel that they've been set in place as sons, but as servants. Here's the tragedy. I've been reminded again and again and again and again how warped and distorted our perception is. Jesus teaching under the old covenant, talking about the stewardship of pounds and talents, the, the accolade that the master heaps on the servant who has brought about increases. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is still quoted at, at Christian funerals. The highest accolade that this person, this brother, this sister can receive is they get into heaven and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? I would be highly offended if that's what I received. If this prodigal son had a father run to him, throw his arms around his neck and kiss him, I'd be offended if God addressed me as a servant when I got to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. I was watching a funeral of a friend of ours recently online. And, you know, the speeches were great, but a couple of the speeches emphasized that at the end. Well done. And I'm screaming as I'm watching on the Internet saying, no, no, welcome home, my child. And the father running to kiss them and throw his arms around them. That's the picture of my father, the one who goes to find the one lost sheep, the one who sweeps the house to find that one lost coin, the one who's watching for that prodigal son to come home, ready for him, sees him at a long distance and runs towards him. That who's, that's who the father is. If you can get that picture of the Father. It's essential that you get that picture. If your picture of yourself, your identity as a son and a daughter is to be transformed, you've got to know who the Father is. And to quote Bill Johnson, if the God that you worship in any way digresses or is, uh, uh, what's the word? isn't exactly the same as the picture that we have of God in Jesus, then you're worshiping a false God. You're worshiping an idol. God has revealed himself in his son. And this is God revealed in Luke 15. This is not about the sheep, not about the coin, and not about the son. This is Jesus trying to reveal who the father is to us. Wow. What an amazing picture. Oh, I pray, child of God, that the Spirit of God changes, pulls down the idol God that you might have had in your mind and in your heart because of the way that you were trained in the religious upbringing that you had. And you'll have a revelation of who God is. Remember my finding the picture of my father. And when I said, I'm going to restore daddy's picture, and God said, that's what I'm doing. I'm restoring daddy's picture. And I thought I had a great picture of the father then. But man, has he been showing me. And as I said, I've said many times, what the Holy Spirit led me to do for the next few years was read the Gospels again and again.
seeing God revealed in Jesus, and it changed me. Read the Gospels, read the stories of Jesus, and recognize that's my Papa, that's my God, that's my Father, that's my Father. It's amazing. He's so easily entreated. I was meeting with somebody who I've been mentoring, and they were highly offended that someone that they knew was going off for a weekend to Las Vegas, and their godly parents gave them the money to go to Las Vegas when they knew that that person was going to Las Vegas to blow money on behavior that was not really acceptable to the family. And the person who was relating the story to me was so offended that the parents had given them the money, and my response to them was, that might be a bit of the older brother spirit there coming through. <laughs> Jesus is trying to reveal to us that the prodigal, the profligate person in this whole story is the father who gives, who gives, even though he knew that the son was going to blow it. He gave the inheritance to his son. What parent would do that? Only a parent who is so overwhelmed by love that they are generous to a fault because of their love. That's who your father is. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but. No, no buts, no buts. Jesus gives us three stories to reinforce that what do you have to do to repent? You see, what we've done, we've made repentance a work of man. But repentance is simply changing your mind to the reality of who God is and that He is the one who has come to seek you. He's the one who's come to save you. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't say He's come to stand and wait for the lost to seek Him out. He's come to seek you to save the lost. That's the Father. He's looking for the lost sheep. He's looking for the lost coin. He's waiting for the lost son to return. And when that lost son returns, even although he's got his speech all figured out about, I forfeited my right to be a son. I understand that. But man, hire me as a servant because then I'm going to have plenty of food to eat. Do you get it? The Father is unconcerned about whatever the son's motives were in coming back. He's come home to be a servant, but the father receives him back unconditionally. In fact, when the son gives his speech, you'll notice that the father doesn't even respond to the son. He shouts to the servants, bring out the robe. Bring out my sandals, bring out my ring, put a ring on his finger and bring out the fatted calf and kill it here and let's feast because this my son was lost but is found and so on. I mean, the father doesn't make a comment. There's no attempt to make the son aware of the stupidity of his request. There's no attempt to make the son uh, squirm under the father's scrutiny because of what he's done in the far country. There's no attempt on his part to remind him of what he has forfeited by taking his inheritance early and going into the far country. Nothing at all. He doesn't address the son. He calls out to the servants and it's totally, everything is 
from the father's part. Everything is from his part to restore the son, putting the robe on him, putting the ring on his hand, putting the sandals on his feet, and killing the fatted calf and having the, the, the feast. And of course, as I bring out in the book, that's all covenantal, the killing of the calf and the shedding of the blood right there, right there, right there on the spot. They had to bring the calf there, right there on the spot where the father had thrown his arms around the son. The blood of the calf was shed. He didn't say, let's go to the house and kill the fatted calf. He said, bring the calf here. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I so love the revelation of the father in the story. This is amazing. This is my father. Well, Let's turn our attention to the older brother. And I do that because so many Christians that I meet, including me before the revelation of grace, I was the quintessential older brother. I mean, in the dictionary under older brother, there was a picture of John. That was me, judgmental, critical, self-righteous, holier than thou, and all the rest of it. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, like Paul confessed to be in Philippians chapter 3. Listen, the older brother is probably the most tragic story, and yet it reflects the people whom Jesus is addressing, the Pharisees, because that's exactly what they were. The older brother's perception of the father was that he was a master to be obeyed. He had not seen him as a father. He had not enjoyed a loving relationship with the father at all because he was intent on obeying his commandments and doing everything that he thought the father expected of him. There's no indication in the story that the father had those expectations. The sons obviously felt that the father had those expectations of them, and the younger brother chafed under it, and the older brother was exemplary in his obedience. And that's really what happens under the law. You either become self-righteous and really hypocritical because your heart isn't right, as we see with the older brother, or else you become rebellious. The law can never produce true holiness and true godliness. It either produces self-righteousness, it either produces performance, or else it produces the frustration of not feeling that you can measure up and the rebellion inside, and you, you go into the far country. And so that, that's the story of these two boys. So the older son, when he hears the feasting, the party that's going on for the younger son's return, he calls the servant outside and he says, what's going on? And the servant tells him, your, young, your younger brother's returned and the father is so happy to have received him safe and sound that he's killed the fatted calf and they're having a party. And the Bible says the older brother was angry and would not go inside. Man, <laughs> oh, when you see somebody 
who is undeserving get blessed by God and you have an angry reaction, you probably have a little bit of the older brother in you because you're feeling this is not fair. This is not right. Here I've been serving God faithfully and he hasn't blessed me. And here's this person who's been in the far country and God heals them and blesses them and prospers them and I'm battling financially. Listen, if you get any anger because God is showing kindness and mercy to people who you judge as being less worthy than you, then check yourself. You're probably still under the law and you haven't entered in to the joy of your identity as a son. The older brother's angry, wouldn't go in. And so the father comes out to him. And man, is his speech to his father so revealing. He says, all my life I have been serving you, and I have never disobeyed any commandment of yours. Here's the tragedy of that. Jesus taught in the parable of the pounds and in the parable of the talents that your perception of God, who God is, becomes the basis upon which God has to deal with you. Jesus put it in these words, the master says to the servant, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. God is limited. If you see him to be a hard taskmaster, then that's what he has to be to you. The, the servant in the story of the, the, the pounds and the talents said, I knew that you were a hard man. The word is duro in Spanish. It's like dry, hard, clay, unyielding. You're a hard man, difficult to satisfy, difficult to please, difficult to placate. And he acted upon that conviction of who the father was. And Jesus said he was condemned and judged on the basis of that perception of who God was to him. In the same way, this son saw himself as a servant who was serving God, the master faithfully, never disobeying any of his commandments. And then he has, he has the crunch, but you never gave me even a skinny goat that I might make merry with my friends. He uses the diminutive form of goat. And so little goat is the correct translation, but in the light of the fact that he's comparing it to the fatted calf, <laughs> I see that little goat as the skinny, scrawny goat. And he said, I would have been satisfied if you gave me a goat. Now, what does that reveal? That reveals that all of his service was in order to gain a reward. And because the father did not see himself as a master, he never lowered himself to that level to reward the son with anything, because that would have been to become what the son believed him to be, a master. And the, the father was not going to be a master. He was a father. And so he never gave his son a goat. But what is the reality? The reality is this, that the Bible says earlier that he had divided to them both 
both his inheritance. When he gave the young son his inheritance, guess what? The older brother got what was left, which was double what the young son had received. In other words, he could have killed that fatted calf at any time. He could have killed all the skinny goats. He could have killed any animal and had a feast with his friends. But his perception of the father was that he was waiting to be rewarded by a master who would finally see what a faithful servant he had been, what an obedient servant he had been, and reward him. And God refused to to lower himself and fit into that paradigm that the older son had of what the father was because he saw himself as a servant. The father was not a master to be obeyed. He was a father who lavished love on his son, but his son never saw that. And so he says this to the father. He said, all my life I've been serving you, never disobeyed a commandment of yours. And you never gave me the skinny goat so that I might have make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours notice the scorn, the judgment, and the, he's berating the father, this son of yours, it's your son. <laughs> and not my brother, your son returns. You kill the fatted calf. It's not fair. No, and God is not fair. He's merciful. See, and that's the pharisaical spirit. We, we bind ourselves to God's got to do this. I'm believing all the promises. I'm praying all the right prayers. I'm making all the right confessions. So God has to come through for me. No, 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 no. God cannot reward your diligent behavior at all. Why? Because it is already yours by inheritance. And repentance on your part is bringing yourself to the place where you are able to receive the inheritance instead of waiting for the reward. I want to make the statement that I make in all the books. That is this. It was impossible for the father to reward the older brother with what already belonged to him by inheritance. See, there's so many Christians who will say, but I just don't understand. I've been asking God. I've been asking God for provision. I've been asking God for healing. I've been asking God for restoration in my marriage. I've been asking God for restoration in my family. And he's not done it. Well, you're probably waiting for what is already yours by inheritance. You don't ask for what is yours by inheritance. You simply receive it with thankfulness. See, that's the issue. If God had to reward your diligent obedience and your longevity of service with a reward, then he has resuscitated the law. Because that's what the law gives. Obedience to the law gives a reward. 
But grace under the new covenant gives to undeserving, unworthy people the abundance of the Father's goodness. And that's why Galatians 4 says, because you are, we are, therefore we are no longer a servant but a son, and if a son, then a heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. It's all yours by inheritance. Quit asking God for what is already yours. You are revealing by your continual asking. Remember, I pointed out to you that ask and keep on asking and knock and keep on knocking and so on. Is Jesus teaching under the old covenant? But he goes on to say, which of you shall have a son who, if he asks him for bread, will give him a serpent and so on. He's not treating you as a friend knocking on the outside. He said in that story in Luke 7, my children are with me in bed. You're in bed with Papa. Your approach to God is totally different because you are a child and you are an heir and God cannot reward you with provision, with money, with healing, with deliverance. He cannot because it belongs to you. It's your inheritance. You can only come and repent from your mentality of, I've been praying so diligently and God's not answering. I've been confessing the word so diligently and God is not coming through. I don't understand. No. He cannot do it. You, you have to repent. You have to change your mind about who the Father is and about who you are and that you are an heir of all things. Son, and this is what the Father responds to him with. Listen to this. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is, is yours. In that first part, son, you are always with me. There's a little bit of a rebuke to that older brother who was always out in the field serving. When all the time there were servants, I mean, the younger brother identified how well-fed the servants were. Why was that older brother out in the field serving? Because he had such a wrong concept of the father and the father was longing for him to understand his place of fellowship. Quit going out in the field and working and come and sit with me in the home and let's fellowship. Son, you are always with me. The tragedy is that so many of us are driven by the way we were raised with a fear of being labeled as lazy or having parents over our shoulders telling us that we always need to be doing something productive. And so we're driven to do, 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 perform, 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 perform. When all along what Jesus was looking for was not Martha in the kitchen, but Mary sitting at his feet. Son, you are always with me and all that I have 
is yours. It's yours. You could have had all the skinny goats. You could have had the fatted calf any time you wanted if you knew who you were, but you've had a wrong idea of your identity. You've seen yourself as a servant and you've been so angry because you've not seen that service being rewarded. You've not seen your obedience rewarded. No, it is impossible for God to reward your obedience because Jesus died for all your disobedience so that you might receive the blessings of God, not by obedience, but by faith. Obedience is not the qualification for the blessings of God under the new covenant. It's faith, faith, faith. Will you obey the Father? Yes, you will obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And remember, the form of the imperative mood and the indicative mood is the same in the Greek. So it's up to the translator to determine is if, it's a, if it's a commandment or if it's a statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because of the love relationship. And because you know the love, your desire will be to keep the commandments of Jesus, to, to do whatever he tells you to do. It's all predicated on the love relationship. We love because he first loved us. Do you see where this older brother was missing it? His relationship with the father was not one of love. He did not understand the Father's love. That's why he gets so offended at the incredible display of lavish mercy, of prodigal, profligate mercy and kindness when the Father lavishes his robe, his ring, his sandals, and kills the fatted calf. <laughs> Man, can you imagine the offense of the older brother? Didn't Jesus address that similarly with John the Baptist? John the Baptist, who had done everything that was commanded of him, who had been sent to introduce the Messiah to the world, and then at the end he's in prison, he's about to have his head chopped off, and he sends his disciples to Jesus, are you the coming one? Why is he having doubt? He's heard from heaven. He saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove on Jesus. Why is he having doubts? Because in his mind, because of old covenant thinking, he's thinking, I've done everything that is expected of me. Where is the favor? Where is the kindness of God? And that's why Jesus said, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why? Because in the kingdom of heaven, everything is now ours by inheritance because of the blood of Jesus. John was still under that old covenant and he was waiting for a reward. He never got the reward. And Jesus had to say, blessed is he who is not offended at me. It is so offensive to the older brother, pharisaical mindset to see God displaying his kindness and his mercy. Now, here's the repentance. The repentance that is so important for the older brother is to repent from his perception that the father is a master to be obeyed instead of a father to have fellowship with. To, to see the, the father's possessions as something to be rewarded to him for his obedience to an inheritance for him to enjoy. 
That's the repentance on the part of the older brother. What is the repentance for the younger brother? It is just simply receiving, just receiving like the lost sheep and the lost coin. <laughs> what could they do to change? Nothing. It is receiving. What could the young son do to change? Nothing. But I want to submit to you, he would need to go through a repentance. Let me just share with you my little addition to the story. Not based on any revelation. This is not God-inspired at all. It's just my story based on my experience with so many believers and so many songs that we sing. I will serve him because I love him. He has given life to me. We have had so many songs about serving, 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 serving. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee in lowly paths of service free, etc., etc. We sing about being servants. We sing about the Master is to be obeyed. The Master is earnestly seeking, you know, and nothing but leaves for the Master was a song we would sing when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. What condemnation. What guilt? You see, we have had religious programming that has programmed us with so much guilt into feeling, yes, he's received us back, but we owe him a debt. And we sing a song like that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And we do not see the incongruity of those two statements. If Jesus paid it all, you Owe him nothing. But we sing it lustily in church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. No, you owe nothing. He paid the entire debt. You owe him nothing. You don't owe him service. You don't owe him a thing. Not a thing. And yet so many of us... Because we've been programmed with this well, because he saved you and he delivered you out of all of that sin, you have an obligation, you have a debt, you ought to, you need to, you should. Let me give you my story. The party is over. The father is sitting in his recliner, happy as can be, because his young son has returned. Troubled, though, on the other hand, because of the reaction of the older brother, yearning for the older brother to grasp the depths of his love for him instead of being so standoffish in his whole attitude of feeling like a servant and feeling betrayed and offended because the father had never rewarded him but had squandered the fatted calf on his young son. After a bit, while he's sitting there, he wonders to himself, I wonder where my young son is. And he calls one of the senior servants and said, where's my young boy? Bring him to me. And uh, the servant said, well, I saw him walking down the path toward where the servants' quarters, where the servants' huts are. He's, he's, he's gone down there. Why has he gone down there? 
Well, he was mumbling and muttering to himself. So I see the old man gather his robes around him and he makes his way down the path to where the servants' quarters are. And he finds his son and he said, son, what are you doing here? He says, well, father, you, 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 you don't understand. I feel so much shame and so much guilt over my behavior in the far country. I brought your name into such disrepute. I squandered that inheritance that you gave to me so freely. I wasted it. I feel so guilty about my behavior in the far country that there's no way that I could ever sleep in the same house as you. I could not be under the same roof as somebody who had shown such extravagant love and kindness. I came home not to be a son, but to be a servant. I am so happy to be a servant in the far country where I was feeding hogs. I wasn't even allowed to eat the hog swill. And here your servants are so well fed. I'm totally happy to be a servant. And I see the father saying, son, don't you understand that when I called for the robe, I was covering your filth and your dirt and your past with the robe of my righteousness, my identity. I didn't receive you back as the old son that you once were. I received you back. As a, new, as a reborn son, as he had said, this my son was dead, but is alive again. In giving you my robe, I'm giving you a new life. You are not coming back as a servant, but as a restored son. And when I put the ring on your finger, that was the, the symbol of my authority. You weren't coming back as a servant. You have my authority. When you use my signet ring, it is tantamount to me signing and sealing a document. You have my authority. And the sandals that I put on your feet, they were a status symbol because the servants walk around barefoot. But sandals on your feet indicates a higher standing than a servant. And when we killed the fatted calf and the blood was shed, it was a new covenantal relationship that you and I were entering into. Don't you understand that your past is covered, is cleansed, is forgiven, is forgotten. Come home to my house. Oh, Father, I could never do that. I just feel so undeserving and so unworthy. I've just forfeited any right to sleep under the same roof as you. Just leave me be here. I'm totally happy to serve you. I'll serve you because I'm so grateful for the way you've received me back. And I say the father, I see the father say, son, but you don't understand. I didn't receive you back as a servant. But you see the son in coming home, that's the speech that he rehearsed. Make me a servant. Make me a servant. <laughs> and I had a flashback when my Tracy started going to Sunday school. That was one of the first choruses she learned. Make me a servant. And she'd come home and she'd sing it. <laughs> oh, Lord, have we indoctrinated them? Have we indoctrinated our kids from such early age on? No, you're a son. You're always with me. <laughs> what a tragedy.
I've come home to serve you. That's what he was rehearsing in his mind. Now, the repentance that is required of him is to change his mind from having a servant, unworthy spirit to having a grateful son, heir spirit. Do you get that? He's come home rehearsing his speech to be a servant, but the father receives him as a son. He has to repent about that image in his mind in order to enjoy the abundance and the bounty of the Father's house. Now, of course, the Bible is silent about the continuation of the story. We just know those realities. Older brothers stay, many times stay offended, stay offended in their self-righteousness. And many of them you can't change. Some of them come to a revelation of grace and their sonship. And that is what I have given my life to do, is to preach the gospel that will change people from having that older brother mentality to having the mindset of one who understands, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Enjoy intimacy and your inheritance. Intimacy and inheritance. You have a position in the father's house, not in the field serving. You have a position of a son to sit with the father in fellowship, not out serving in the field. Man, am I passionate about that? Then I'm also passionate about the young brothers returning and coming in with the mentality and being told that they now in the light of the Father's grace in receiving them back, they now need to serve. Man, I want them to repent out of the servants' quarters. I want all of us to find our place in the Father's love, in the Father's home, understanding our position as sons and daughters, receiving our inheritance and communing, enjoying the relationship Instead of making the relationship based upon what we need from him and what he can give us and what he can do for us and so on, whether with the older brother waiting for a reward or the, the young son, whatever. Do you, do you get the, my heart? Oh, that we could just relax in the knowledge of who the father is. This man receives sinners and eats with them and hears my punchline. If Jesus receives sinners and eats with them, imagine what Papa feels about you as his child, whom he has redeemed through the blood of his son, whom he has declared to be righteous, whom he has placed and positioned as a son in his house. Imagine how he feels about you. Imagine his longing to feast with you and enjoy fellowship with you and enjoy communion with you. Quit holding yourself out from enjoying that. Quit grieving the Father's heart. You see, in my picture that I've painted for you, I see the Father walking back 
to his house, sitting in his recliner, grieving over two sons who never understood him, who never understood the depths of his love. If we only knew, if we only knew the depths of the Father's love, we would find our true identity in the revelation of who God is. At the risk of sounding like I'm promoting messages, I think it would be so good for some of you who have issues in this area to go online and listen online or download onto your iPod or your, your smartphone the series of messages on Show Us the Father or up close and personal, but show us the Father first and understand who the Father is. I have people contact me and say, I had such a bad father image, but I listened to that set on Show Us the Father again and again and again and again, and the truth has set me free. I want you to know the Father as Jesus obviously came to earth to show us the Father. Show us the Father. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've revealed yourself in Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you that it is your task to make all that Jesus has revealed of the Father real to us. Jesus, you said he, will, he the Spirit will take all the things of mine and reveal them to you. And you said, all that the Father has is mine. In other words, the Spirit wants to show us all the truth about the Father and all that he has and all that is given to, to Jesus as the heir and therefore all that is ours as joint heirs with Christ. Lord, we want to enter into the full inheritance. We want to enter into our full authority. We want to look down and see that ring of authority and have absolute confidence in the face of the intimidation of the enemy. And I know it can only happen as we have a true picture of the Father. Holy Spirit, restore Daddy's picture to every one of us. Restore Daddy's picture. Restore Daddy's picture. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you, and thank you for listening.